Hey, this is Aaron Dranoff. Welcome to the Torah Guide, a podcast where we explore how the Hebrew Bible is all about Jesus and meditate on what it has to say to us. If you've spent much time reading the Hebrew Bible, you've probably come across long lists of laws. I know a lot of people who set out to read the whole Bible, and they started out really excited in Genesis, but then when they got to the middle of Exodus, they started getting discouraged. They got to the long sections of laws that make up a lot of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and didn't know why this was in their Bible, or how it's relevant today, or just why they were reading ancient law code. So I hope today's meditation will fill in some gaps that a lot of us have which cause us to miss out on the goodness of Scripture. The law makes up so much of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The second half of Exodus, almost all of Leviticus, and a lot of Numbers and Deuteronomy are long lists of laws. And these five books are the foundation for the rest of Scripture. The rest of the Hebrew Bible, and also the New Testament, consistently reference these books and the laws in them. The biblical authors saw these laws as a beautiful part of Scripture. Look at how King David spoke about them. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much pure gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. I'm really excited for today's meditation, even though I know not everyone might be. So my hope is that by the end of today, you feel comfortable reading and understanding the laws in Scripture, and can see how important they are to understanding the full story. So here are just a few laws you'll come across as you're reading the Torah. As I list them, I want you to think about how you normally process laws like these when you come across them in the Hebrew Bible. So first... It is a permanent statute throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. You shall not eat any fat or blood. That's Leviticus 3.17. Next, when you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof so that you will not bring guilt for bloodshed on your house if anyone falls from it. That's Deuteronomy 22.8. Now, if any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and becomes guilty, if his sin which he has committed is made known to him, then he shall bring as his offering a goat, a female without defect, for his sins which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, and slaughter the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. That's Leviticus 4, 27-29. Next, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's Deuteronomy 6, 5. So what do we do when we come across these laws? Of course, it's easy to see that ancient Israel is supposed to obey these laws, but are followers of Jesus supposed to obey them today? Well, what about Israel today? Or Jewish followers of Jesus like me? And if we're only supposed to keep some and not others, how are we supposed to differentiate between laws like loving the Lord our God and bringing a goat for a sin offering? Probably the most important thing to remember when we're trying to understand the laws in the Torah as they're intended is to remember that we're reading a narrative. By the time we get to the law code given to Israel, which happened in Exodus 19, we're already 69 chapters into the story, 
So it's pre- pretty easy to see that the law code is part of the story, not the other way around. We need to try and see how these laws develop and build the story. At the beginning of the biblical story, even though God blessed humanity in the Garden of Eden, humanity continually rejects God. First, Adam and Eve seize authority to decide good and evil for themselves. Then, their son Cain followed suit. He ignored the kind instruction that God gave him, and he murdered his brother. Then, as humans spread on the earth, so did evil, to the extent that God sent a flood to start over with Noah as a new Adam. Then, humanity's rejection of God culminated in the famous story of the Tower of Babel, where humanity united in an effort to build a city called Babylon to elevate themselves instead of God. What happened in Babylon shows us that as a whole, humanity had chosen to reject God. But out of the tragic story of Babylon, God actually remained faithful to his promise to redeem creation. And he even continues to do it by partnering with with humans, the people who are spreading this evil. He called the family of Abraham out of Babylon to be his representatives to the rest of the world, flipping what happened in Babylon upside down. God elevated Abraham and his descendants, the nation of Israel. Like Babylon, he elevated a human nation, but unlike Babylon, it wasn't for selfish gain. God elevated the nation of Israel in order that they, in turn, would share the blessing with all the other nations. So as we follow Israel's story, we see that even this people, God's chosen people, often turn against God and go the same way as the rest of humanity. They often look more like Babylon than the Garden of Eden that God's using them to restore. About 400 years after Abraham, God rescued the people of Israel from their bondage and slavery, and he invited them into a unique relationship with himself. So as a nation, they would get to be his priestly representatives if they listened to him. And this is the context that God began to give Israel the laws. There were laws for God's new nation who was supposed to represent him to everyone else. God used these laws to instruct Israel on how to relate to him and how to relate to each other. Foreigners were welcome to come to Israel and fully obey the law, and they were even welcome to offer sacrifices in God's tent of meeting, the tabernacle. We see that uh, all over the Torah, but one place in specific is Numbers 15, 14 to 30, where God gives instructions for how the foreigners can come and offer sacrifices, just like the natural people of Israel. But the Torah's law code was specifically with Israel, meaning Israel wasn't instructed to go and force others to obey it. And that's never something that they did. They were to be a beacon of light representing God's character and welcoming foreigners, not a growing empire forcing submission to the Torah. As his representatives, these laws would shape Israel so that the nations would be able to look at Israel and see a reflection of God's character. At the end of the Torah, God, through Moses, makes it very clear that these laws are part of one complete law code. And it further makes it clear, most vividly in Deuteronomy 28, that the nation of Israel was commanded to keep every one of the laws without exception. You couldn't pick and choose which laws you wanted to keep. Just like in any nation you live in, you can't pick and choose which laws you want to keep. Deuteronomy 28, Moses said to all the people right before he sent them into Israel, Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments which I am commanding you today, that the Lord your God will put you high above all the nations of the earth. That's Deuteronomy 28.1. Then he followed it with a long list of the blessings God wanted to give them. Then he gave them this warning. But it shall come about, 
if you do not obey the Lord your God, to be careful to follow all his commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. That's Deuteronomy 28.15. And he follows that up with an even, even longer list of curses or consequences that they would endure if they didn't keep all of the law. So they couldn't pick and choose which laws to obey, but there are a few different types of laws in the Torah, and noticing the different categories can help us understand what each type is supposed to teach. There are laws that instructed the people of Israel about the ethics God expects of his people, moral laws. And there are laws for how to govern this new nation of ancient Israel, civil laws. And the law includes rituals around time, sacrifices, and cleanliness. A lot of people call these ceremonial laws. The moral laws reveal God's value system and teach the people of Israel how to represent what is truly right and wrong to the world around them. These laws teach us about God's character. The civil laws help the nation as a whole do the same thing. The ceremonial laws accomplished a few things. The ceremonial laws around time were given for Israel to remember how past events point to God's work in the future. For example, the annual Pesach, or Passover, is a law around time that memorializes God saving Israel from slavery. It's an annual ritual that forms Israel's identity around the fact that God saved them. So remember how these laws don't just exist in a vacuum, but are embedded in the book of the teaching, the Torah? In the story, we learn why it's so important to remember the Exodus that Israel needed to reenact it annually. We can see one important reason in Numbers 24.8, where Exodus imagery is used to predict the coming of a rescuer, who will later be called the Messiah. In other words, the Torah describes the Messianic age as a new Exodus with a new Moses. So by reenacting the Passover every year, Israel is being trained, Mr. Miyagi style, to remember how God saves and to know what Messianic saving would look like. The ceremonial laws about sacrifice were about bringing offerings to deal with sin. These offerings would be a persistent reminder that God wants to dwell with his people and bring life. But because of the reality of human evil, intentional or not, sin needed to be dealt with first. These laws very clearly remind Israel that the consequence of sin is death, and the only thing that can atone or cover for someone's wrongdoing is blood. To be faithful representatives of God, ancient Israel needed to obey the entire law. God made it very clear that he expected complete obedience, both before he gave the law in Exodus 19 and again at the end of the Torah, Deuteronomy 28. But before the end of the Torah, God told Israel that he knows human nature. So he knew that they were going to break the law and outright reject him. And that's exactly what happened. They disobeyed it even as he was giving it. Then the rest of the Hebrew Bible shows Israel breaking the covenant time and time again, while the prophets plead with them to return to it. And here's a major display of God's faithfulness, because even though they knew even though he knew they were going to turn away from him and break the law, God didn't reject his people Israel. Even though they turned against him, he had already promised to never turn against them. Centuries earlier, he made an unconditional promise to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, telling them he would make them into a great nation and bless all the families of the earth through them. No fine print. So he wasn't about to reject the descendants because they didn't obey when he already promised their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would turn them into a great nation with no fine print. So because Israel broke the law, the law revealed that even God's chosen people, Israel, were sinful. 
So at the end of the Torah, God promised a time when he would restore the people and change their hearts so that they would be able to obey him. The prophet Jeremiah wrote about this restoration, and he called it a new covenant that would not only be with Israel, but also the Gentiles. The prophet Ezekiel wrote about the same covenant, and he added that God would even put his spirit in them so they would be able to obey. Jesus inaugurated the new covenant with his life, death, and resurrection. And for us as his followers under this new covenant, he gives us his spirit so that we can obey him. If we have received Jesus, we're under the new covenant, whether we're Jewish or Gentile. In other words, we're not held to the standards of the Sinai covenant, but of the Messiah's covenant, the new covenant. That doesn't mean that Sinai's laws aren't good to learn from or even to keep. We certainly have the freedom to keep them if we're doing them to remember and celebrate what it is Jesus did for us. The ceremonial laws taught us to recognize Jesus. Today, we can learn so much about what Jesus accomplished from them. The civil laws were for governing the theocracy of Israel under the Sinai covenant so they could be his faithful representatives. Today, there is no theocracy of Israel under the Sinai covenant, so they can't be kept. But we can learn about his character through them. The moral laws reveal God's character and teach us how to live rightly. This is why the New Testament authors so often repeat the moral laws from the Torah, expecting followers of Jesus to want to follow them. God's character does not change, so the moral laws teach us a lot about what it looks like to follow Jesus. So here are some takeaways for how to understand the laws. First, remember we encounter these laws inside the larger biblical story and need to look for how to understand them in their context. And second, these laws teach us how to relate to God and how to relate to each other. So when we come across sections of laws, we should ask ourselves these questions. How does this section of laws fit into the larger story? And is this law teaching Israel about God's character and good and evil? Or is this law given so that Israel will remember something God has done for them? And if so, why does he want them to remember that? Okay, today's scripture reading is from Exodus 19, 2-9. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, This is what you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also trust in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Let's take some time to reflect and meditate on God's word. I'm gonna ask you three questions. Take the time you need to think about them and you can pause if you need more time. All right, first question. Remember that God is always faithful to his people, even when they aren't faithful in return. What is one way that you've seen God's faithfulness in your life or the life of someone around you? 
And what are some ways that you and your community need God's faithfulness? Lastly, what is one way today that you can be faithful to Jesus? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Torah Guide Podcast. If you want to read along with us, go to thetorahguide.com and sign up for our weekly meditations. It's completely free. If you want to dive even deeper, we have articles and other resources on our website too. All these resources are available for free, but we're a brand new nonprofit, so we really need your help to keep doing this. So if you want to be a part of helping people explore faith in Jesus through the Hebrew Bible, you can support us by going to thetorahguide.com and making a one-time donation or becoming a monthly supporter. Thanks for being a part of this.